Remembering Rhonda. Conversations about our shared history. Welcome to the podcast where we learn about the genocide in Rwanda against the Tutsi 1994 and how literature and art create, shape and restore our collective memory. Welcome back to Remembering Rwanda. My name is Laura and in today's episode we're meeting online via Zoom. I'm here with Ines and Dora and we're going to talk about Scholastique Mukasonga and her writing. So we first came across Scholastique Mukasonga's writing this semester, and I think we were all very deeply impressed by her style of writing and her powerful stories. So today we would like to discuss her works Iosio le Cafard, or in English, Cockroaches, and Notre Dame du Nil, Our Lady of the Nile in English. So to introduce her a little bit more, Scholastique Mukasonga is the most successful Rwandan author of today. She was born in the 50s and after being displaced and facing discrimination in Rwanda in the 60s, she first fled to Burundi in the 70s and then finally moved to France, where she's living right now. And yeah, she considers herself as her survivor, as her family and her friends who stayed in Rwanda were all killed in the 1994 genocide against Tutsi. But she's also an author, and a lot of her work is centered around her experience of the violence against the Tutsi and the genocide against them. So not just this genocide as a single event in 1994, but especially also the harassments and violent acts that led up to the massacre in 94. But she also focuses in her more recent work on ancient Rwanda, on pre-colonial Rwanda and on Rwanda myths and stories. So this to her is also an act of recuperating memory and an act of building up a foundation for a new Rwanda. Scholastique Mukasonga writes her works in French, and we chose to include some quotes in the French original, but we're going to read out most of the quotes in English as this podcast is done in English. So as I already mentioned her powerful writing, I suggest we start with listening to a short passage of one of her works. Due to copyright issues, this quotation has been removed. So this is the preface to Mukasongo's first work, Iosio le Cafard, or in English, Cockroaches. And this book is a personal account of her dealing with the genocide against the Tutsi, in which she lost almost her entire family. We wanted to start with this passage as I think it's very impressive and it also depicts a very good image of her as a writer dealing with the topics of genocide, grief, uh, memory and also her experience as a female. And I think it was you, Dora, who read the book Cockroaches first. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about it. Sure. So in 2006, Scholastic Mukasonga published her memoir Cockroaches in which she described personal impressions of Hutu-Tutsi conflict, which led to the genocide that happened in Rwanda in 1994. And the title, Cockroaches, refers to the name Hutu people used to offensively address the Tutsis. And the fact that Mukasonga uses that term for a book in which she describes her life is a strong message 
that no matter how someone calls or treats you, it does not have the right or the power to determine your value or your fate. Starting with the earliest childhood memories, she remembers her life path and what she was faced with in the years before, during, and after the great tragedy. She admits that she misses and has no memory of her birthplace. And this is because already at the age of three, she with her family had to escape her first home. After that, constant running had occurred. They have been persecuted to the usually abandoned and isolated or wild areas where they were constantly facing challenges of learning again and again how to survive at those new territories. On July 1st, in 1962, Rwanda became independent and legislative elections had been held. But those elections were supervised by Hutu people, so Tutsis basically ended up giving their votes to the people who killed them. Already in 1964, two years later, the foretaste of 1994 genocide had happened. A lot of Tutsi people have been killed, so others have chosen to live in exile. But then, even that was put under surveillance, possibly to prevent mass exile. Somewhere at that time, because of everything that was going on, Mukasonga's family also decides to move and once again establish new life. They came to the place Gitagata, or how Mukasonga addresses it, the place where her parents were killed. Because of that, it is a huge paradox that she also calls this place her happy place. After all, Gitagata is her home. It is a place where she lived most of her childhood, where most of her memories has been created, where she found out who she wants to be. Nevertheless, Gitagata wasn't really a happy place. The exiled Tatsis lived surrounded with soldiers who were constantly hurting them with the excuse of security checks. Sometimes they would even fire from weapons throwing grenades on school kids, burst into their homes, or confined them inside them. And also raping women wasn't a rare case. Living under those circumstances, Mukasonga somehow managed to pursue an education, even though in that time it is nearly impossible for Tatsi children to gain that. However, in 1973, While studying social work, she has been literally driven away from her school and sent home because of the once again rising tensions in the country. After she comes home, her family had a big discussion in which her parents had to make a choice which from their children are going to send abroad and enable them to have a better life. Can you imagine? The choice was made and she and her brother went to Burundi to start a new life as a refugee. Eventually, Mukasonga finishes her education and starts her own family in Burundi. But in the meantime, she managed to visit her family in Rwanda a couple of times, even though it was pretty difficult to enter Rwanda and go unnoticed, so she does not harm either herself, her family, or a whole village. But 
definitely the most difficult return for her must have been the one after the genocide in which she lost 37 close family members and not to mention the rest of the people she knew in her place. Coming home and dealing with the trauma, remembering everyone and seeing what is no longer there as she writes herself. She was postponing it. Even though she dedicated herself to help people in Rwanda through social work, she still had to work on her own self and find a way how to cure what's within her. Before we continue, let's hear one part from the book Cockroaches. Due to copyright issues, this quotation has been removed. So one thing that I think is really impressive when reading Mukasonga and that also shows in this quote that we just heard is um, how she explains the use leading up to the genocide and that it wasn't just like one genocide against the Tutsis in 1994, but that there were many violent acts leading up to that. And I think this is something that her work made me understand because before that, um, before reading her work, I didn't really grasp the situation that well. Or what do you think? What did her work make you understand? Yeah, totally. And and the thing is, if you think about just the, the genocide in 1994 against the Tutsis, it's one huge outbreak of violence and hatred and stuff, but you hardly ever think about or hear about why all this hate and why it was like that brutal and, and, and savage. And her explaining the situation within the country makes it so much more I wouldn't say like I understand it, but but it kind of like shows you how it how all this violence was built up and how the hatred was built up and, and what came before that. It wasn't just one event that happened out of nothing. There were so many like decades before that. And that's something I realized while reading it. And because it's so personal, because it's her personal story, you like feel it even more and you get engaged even more because you have like her personal story her experiences her family um who she who she portrays um and you kind of follow her family story story in a even bigger like circumstance and and even bigger events and her personal story is just one example of so many more personal stories out there and yeah I absolutely agree with that I feel like um, Mukasonga opening up and speaking about her personal experience not just that it helped to understand how it happened because most of us even if we know we know just about the genocide in 1994 but there was like so much more and Mukasonga told us about it and why is it important to say all those things is it is also because it gives us a way to see things differently to understand and it is important to understand how we could prevent it in the future so it could never happen again yeah and and something more that struck me about it and 
which I came to realize when I when we did more research and, and also read interviews by her and stuff that she also started to cope with her trauma and her experiences through writing about it and that it took her I think 10 years until she went back to Rwanda um, like after everything that happened and through writing she first came to deal with all that she experienced and she wrote like a lot of all the biographical stuff and we will later hear about the novel she wrote the first novel she wrote about what she experienced and and through that she heals her own trauma but tries to heal the trauma of all Rwandans in a way and and write for them that's something she emphasizes on a lot that she wants to write and and create a memory but also help to deal with what happened and I think that's something in cockroaches especially is done so well because she talks about so much more stuff than just her personal story she talks about like political um, climate like social politics in school life and all that kind of stuff um like lives for refugees in Burundi and the situation in Burundi and also about how the world received the genocide in 1994 because she was in France with her husband and didn't really have that much of media coverage while it happened but at the same time it was like her family being slaughtered and she learned about it so much later and and didn't have access to information about it and it's so wild because there are so many more dynamics in her telling those stories not just her personal story but so many layers and that's something that is really impressing and also so insightful to me. Yes, I agree. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned media coverage because it's something that I think, um, yeah, her book kind of also refers to because it's very fragmented and some parts of it kind of are, are read as like a news report or um, the story seems kind of very incomplete as we follow her while she's like um, narrating her story going back to Rwanda and it's actually just one chapter I think it's the last chapter that speaks um, about the genocide against the Tutsi in 1994 and all the other chapters I think there are 14 chapters um, speak about the events leading up to that and yeah I think this also kind of raises the question of um, who is the witness? Um, how can we properly remember this event? What is remembered? Yeah, you were right. There is uh, 14 chapters and only one is dedicated to genocide itself. So there was like a lot of things going on. And after the genocide, what she mentions in her book is the fate of so many people she she knew. So it is not just the perspective of France, of Burundi, of people in Rwanda, of the media. It was also about the people who who have been murdered in, in this tragedy. And she, she kind of leaves them on the paper. She leaves them alive in a way in the book. And we we see a lot of destinies in the book through her through her eyes because as she describes what they were when they were still alive, she also sees them in the moment when she comes back to Rwanda. She sees them being still there and we, we can see as well what the world has lost. 
Yes, I think this is really special about her writing. And it seems like we're able to read the story through Brandon eyes rather than through Western eyes. And one thing Mukasonga also mentions is how, she, how important it is for her to also make the readers guardians of the memory that she inscribes in her books. So it feels like while we're reading this memoir, we're also becoming, um, or we're getting to know her memories, we're getting to know the story, and we're taking part in this kind of collective process of memorizing and recuperating and restoring and this is very important to her. And I think it's very special to read a story that way. Or what do you think about it? How was your reading experience? How did you feel whilst reading this book? First of all, her for me, her style is like so clear and and beautiful in a way, beautiful and simple, that it, it like the stories she tells are getting so much more emphasis on and and are so much more important than her way of telling them. And she talks a lot about her mother telling her stories, like an oral tradition and, and women in general being guardians of memory in Rwanda and, and Rwandan history and heritage before colonizers and before European ideals were in, in, induced on them in a way. And and she she said in, in an interview Unlike my parents, I survived and I owed it to myself to testify so that nothing would be forgotten. I feel that responsibility very strongly to live or rather not to die in order to tell my story. And reading that after reading her memoir was like, I wouldn't say touching, it was like shaking me up and, and, and like waking me up in a way because it's her trauma and everything she went through and had to experience is so traumatizing, but she, she still finds a way to talk about it and, and make something beautiful out of it and, and tells us to remember it as well and read it, read it and, and be guardians of her memories as well. I think what she manages to do, she really preserves the memory of her loved ones, but then she also shifts the focus to um, the Rwanda of today or Rwanda's future. She shifts the focus to reconnection and recuperation also of cultural heritage. And so in a way, she's kind of creating a fictional archive. So I think normally when we think about archives, we think of them as objectively put together. But archives are also like always created by people with an agency. And mostly these people are powerful people. So they only preserve like one specific way of looking at history or specific aspects. But art um, doesn't really present itself as neutral. It's also created by individuals um, and also shares one specific story, um, but it presents itself in a different way. And in my opinion, art makes us understand things that archives can't. Like we can read many documents, but sometimes it's just a book like Skolastik Mukasonga's book that really makes us understand things and like really makes us grasp the situation. Or for me personally, it was when so when reading Mukasonga's you know, I really had to think about how she's creating, yeah, I wouldn't name it a fictional archive, how she's 
using memory and creating remembrance through making us readers carriers of this memory. I mean, she wrote down the story of people who died of like all the events that happened in Rwanda. And by reading, we all take part in this memory. We all get access to this archive, to her story. So when we kind of stop thinking of archives as these fixed entities and open them up a little bit more, so archives also being constituted through people, through their memories, through stories, through art, through books especially, we kind of open up a new way of remembering and a new way of understanding. And this is also what really went through my mind when I read her book. You're listening to a podcast, Remembering Rwanda, conversations about our shared history. In today's episode, we're talking about Scholastic Mukasonga and her work. So far, we discussed her memoir, Cockroaches, and now it is time to focus a little bit more on her fictional work. We were talking about like her style and something that was even more impressive to me was when I read her first novel, um, Our Lady of the Nile. And it was actually her first fictional work. And it's a novel about all girls Lucé in, in Rwanda called Our Lady of the Nile, uh, Notre Dame du Nil in French. And I started reading it in French and I'm not that fluent, <laughs> but it was, it struck me as like, not simple, but yeah, simple in a way, but, but not like in a, in a plain or like, yeah, easy way, but it was easy to understand and easy to, to grab the atmosphere. And that feeling got transported into the, the English translation as well. And I read the whole novel in English later on. And that was something even more impressive after reading, after reading the memoir, because you understand so much more of what's going on in the novel when you read her memoir and her personal story. And it's basically about the young girls, Elysée, in the novel is set in 1973. So before the actual genocide happened in 1994 against the Tutsis. And it's kind of modeled off after a school and her Mukasonga's own experiences at a school where she was one of the few Tutsis who were able and allowed to attend and it centers around like a group of, of students during one school year and like their daily life they're like the elite of Rwanda um, Rwanda's later leading wives and, and women like daughters from ministers and, and army leaders and they all signify and, and characterize like different positions and different micropolitics in a way of Rwanda and during that school year there's there are riots breaking out and the division between Hutu and Tutsi students are getting bigger and there are other figures symbolizing European colonizers and the influence of the church and there's so many layers in that novel that struck me deeply and especially since I knew her personal stories you could so much more relate to it and that it wasn't just fictional there was so much truth in that 
and it's heavy to read but it was i don't know for me it was beautiful and it's a microcosmos of rwanda and the depiction of the society during the, those years in 1973 was actually the year scholastic mukosonga herself had to flee the school for social work in putare and and had to flee to burundi so there's a lot of her own experiences um woven into into her writings and I think she also said that writing fiction gave her even more freedom to reflect on what happened. I think you can see that in the novel. Exactly. Like you mentioned, even though it is fictional, the novel and the memoir seem so close, especially when you read them together or one after another. Like reading the memoir, because it is true, there was like a lot of breaking points for me, even from the first page. Just the dedication that there is on the first page that this memoir is for a father, for a mother, for all sisters, for all brothers, and the rest of her 37 family members. It already makes a reader shaken and everything that happens, it's so terrifying. And coming to a novel that is just a fiction, but for which you know that it is made on personal experience, it also brings those breaking points there. So so you mean you can empathize with the characters and you can identify in a way, even though they have like really different stories and experiences, you're like so directly in her story and in her tellings, you are like there. And even though, you know, you're from completely different social background and, and like in a different time and it feels familiar or you you know what she describes, you see it, you you feel it in a way. I don't know about you, Laura, how you experienced reading it. I agree with you. The characters feel so real and they're also very complex. So I can really relate to what you said. I think everyone can see themselves in like one of the characters. You can really like feel their thoughts. You can follow their thoughts and patterns. And I think it's it's really touching and also relatable. It was very nice that she created such different characters because they all come from different backgrounds. Um, it really feels like a microcosmos of Rwanda's society in the 70s. And this also helps with understanding the situation. And it's a different, it's a different approach, like comparing it to the memoir, because the memoir is like a lot more personal and also a lot more graphic in some parts. Um, but reading the novel makes you understand different things. And as the, the the novel is set, I think, in just one year or two years in the 70s, um, it also goes really like into detail of like the violent acts that happened during this time and kind of shows the dynamics that can arise in a society. And I think that's great. Something that like really got me was First reading it, but then thinking about it and thinking about all, all those different characters and layers she put in there. Because if you think about it, it's her first work of fictional writing. And it's so complex and so deep in a way. Because if you take the different, like the, the girls, for example, there's Gloriosa. She is the daughter of one, I don't know, high-ranking minister. And she plots her own riots in a way through a lie. And she drags friends of herself um, into that. And she brings like violence to the school. 
and she depicts one part of Rwandan society as well as the others like Virginia and Veronica who are the only Tutsi girls in the school who are representing different forms of resistance or not resistance of Tutsis during that time. The one who still hopes for white saviors in a way and the others who know they can't rely on them. Then you have got like French or Belgian settler, Monsieur Fontenay, and, and he represents like the whole colonial and European and missionary influence Europe and the Western countries had in, in Rwanda and how they destroyed a society and their heritage in a way. And you have the role of the church. You have the priest who totally is entrusted with the girls and for safekeeping and for education and stuff. And he misuses his his power given by the church, which represents the the role of the Catholic Church during the genocide and during the years leading up to the genocide. There's so many layers in every single character. Um, there's a student, Frida, who is so much into European stuff, who wants to live after those ideals, who wants to have like food Europeans have. She wants to just be like the settlers and be like the colonizers. There's so many layers. And it's, for me, it's extremely fascinating how she built that up and, and how you really see the different, different facets of Rwandan society and the influences that were put on Rwandan society. There are representations of old traditional heritage in Rwanda through, some call them a, bit, a witch, but she's actually a keeper of traditions and medicine and religion the Rwandan tribes had for centuries before European missionaries came to Rwanda. So it's so multi-layered in a way, which is fascinating for me. And you can you can feel it in a way that there's more to that story than just her telling a story. Yeah, she definitely does not make novel black and white, even though often when we think about the genocide, we make it black and white. We make it Hutu and Tutsi. And uh, I guess that goes with the nature of the things, with the fact that she was there, that she saw conflicts not just in fact. She saw conflicts there in real life. Like there could be representatives of the Hutu people, of the Tatsi people, of the church, the view, the perspective of the rest of the world to this event. But as well, she puts in uh, a character named Modesta, which is, which is half Hutu, which is half Tutsi. And she illustrates that image, how she conflicts in herself. And we can really follow all these different lines to get the full complexity of the theme that we are dealing with so maybe now would be the perfect time to to hear what does Mukasonga write how does she picture this theme due to copyright issues this quotation has been removed I think um, something that was mentioned in this quote, and that's also very important about her writing, is that she often writes about females and the female ex uh, perspective. And this is also something that is very important to her. 
And I think she mentioned in an interview that she also thinks that women and girls were actually one of the first victims um, in this genocide. And this is, I can't, or I had to think of the theory of intersectionality, which is basically a theory that kind of tries or aims at making structures of inequality more visible by kind of showing and analyzing different categories of oppression or different concepts of oppression. So for example, like race, class and religion. And I think this is very like closely connected to her characters. All of her characters um, raise awareness for intersectionality because we can't just look at um, the characters from, from, for example, a feminist perspective or try to depict racism but we we can really feel how all of these um, concepts and categories are intertwined and um, how they create these unique experiences and I think that's it's really great to read it and it really helps to understand the complexity of the issue yeah exactly and and what struck me then even even more was while researching we discovered that there is a movie about the novel or the novel was adapted into a movie in uh, 2019 by Atik Rahimi. And of course, we had to watch it <laughs> to kind of see if the adaptation like lives up to the standards the novel set. And I really have to say it did in a different way because it told a story that was already so full of images and, and like pictorial for me at least it even brought another dimension to the story and the, the movie isn't competitive to the novel or takes anything away from it it just emphasizes different layers even more and while researching about it or while reading about the, the movie it was really interesting to discover that Scholastique was involved herself. She was like an advisor for the movie and she knew Atik Rahimi beforehand. They were friends. He's also a refugee um, from Afghanistan, I think, now based in France and also an author. And he really went above and beyond for doing that movie. He did research for like six months in Rwanda. He shot the entire movie in Rwanda and he only used local girls as actresses, girls who haven't acted before in any way. He held a special like workshop camp, something for them to train them a little bit, but to keep their natural abilities and their natural beings. And they are portraying the girls in such a lively and vivid way, which just adds another level for me to, to the whole story. And, and Skolestik herself said that she's so glad he, he stuck so much to her tellings and, and was really eager to involve and shoot in Rwanda and involve local girls, that he just stayed so true to her experiences and that she was really glad about it. Yeah, the movie Our Lady of the Nile is definitely one of the movies that didn't disappoint after reading a book. It just, as you said, it just like makes the picture more clear and it really goes well with the novel, probably because of the, the close cooperation between the authors. And we had the opportunity of meeting one of the actors that participated in the movie with who we had an interview where we have discussed a little bit more about the movie and the experience on the set and 
uh, more about how Mukasonga influenced the movie. I also really, really enjoyed the movie. Um, and I think it's a really, really powerful statement that the movie was shot in Rwanda with Rwandan actors because it also it tells a Rwandan story and doesn't take the story out of the hands of Mukasonga. It's still her story, but it is told in a different way and it makes us understand different things. And I think it's also very important because um, movies are much more accessible than books are. And in a way, this movie is also a contribution to a collective memory or to an archive. And yeah, I think it's, it's a great movie. And if you get the chance to watch it, please do. Exactly. And, and as an addition to, to an archive, I thought it really interesting that Atik Rahimi said himself that he was eager to shoot it in Rwanda to just depict the beauty of, the, of that country, like where it's shot, it's like surrounded by nature and it's just stunning to me, like, like sets a, such a peaceful atmosphere, which brings out the terror even more, which happened. And you just see like a beautiful country and, and then see what people are doing or influenced to do which makes it even stronger. And I don't know, for me, it was like, even though there were so many horrible things going on and seeing how far the country has come by now and, and where they are now, it's incredible. And I feel the need to go to Rwanda by now. And I'm like, okay, I want to, to visit and to see myself because that movie just brought me another picture of that country. You can see a country so beautiful and peaceful in a way and then the story happens it shows you the country even more than than the writings can and I think having the novel and the movie all together plus the memoir kind of gives you a rounded picture of the way things were just to remind us so that they won't happen again. I think it is important that in the movie we see how society is influenced by what is going on but it is not just the society in general and just like easy as the word society is this movie this book take place in a school this story is happening among children and we see on examples of children how deep this hate how deep this conflict goes for example, on, on a character, Gloriosa, we see how deep her hate goes, how she's portrayed very, very aggressively. And in the movie, we never get the reason why. She's just there and she's just angry, angry at the world, angry at the Tatsis. And she just goes and follows her instinct. But where did that instinct came from? Why did this happen? This is all what uh, Mukasonga discussed in her work. And this is why it is very important to talk about things, to talk about the trauma, to talk about everything bad that is going on so we can learn from it and move on from it. Yes, I agree. And I think this is also yeah, a very powerful part of her work and also of the movie. I think like reading the novel, reading the memoir and watching the movie also makes us understand how this genocide against the Tutsi in 1994 is a part of our collective memory. It's not just a random memory, but it's part of our collective history, of our global history. 
And it's important to talk about it and it's important to learn about it. And yeah, for me personally, it also raised the question of what do I do with this? What do I do with all this knowledge that I've gained that I didn't have before? And um, how can I preserve this memory that I now have? What should I do? What should I learn? What should I understand? And there was also um, for me like an anger or I was kind of angry at myself for not knowing about this before. So yeah, I wanted to ask you, how did you feel? Kind of like the same or similar um, because I just started to understand how little I know about everything and about the events in Rwanda and um, during the whole semester and, and learning more and different layers and different perspectives through people who wrote about it or who created art or who were survivors who are in any way involved in that that there is so little I understand but her writings and her reading Mukasonga's work just helped me to grab a little bit of that and and we discussed it a lot while preparing the podcast and everything and especially doing that podcast is one form and one one part of us doing something with that and and, and spreading the word and and just like recommending her novels to anyone for example talk to my best friend talk to my mom about it and was like okay it's so impressive and you need to read that because I can tell you what it I can only tell you what it made me feel like and what I realized but you have to experience it yourself I have had the similar experience And before I took this course and started studying about it, I've heard about the genocide that happened in Rwanda in 1994. I've heard that it was horrible, but I never really paid attention. I never knew what exactly happened. And basically what I was doing is I was being ignorant. And it felt so easy. It felt so natural. But we keep forgetting that being ignorant is not natural. It is a choice. And this is why now I choose to get involved to this story, to learn more about it. And the art that I found on this journey is something that invited me to cope more with the story. And then there is the question, what can I do now? Now I'm starting to realize what happened. I'm still learning, but I want to do something. And what do I do? It is over. It happened. And what is then left to do? What is in my power? This might be the question that every individual has at some point asked itself if they wanted to make some change, some improvement. And for that, I think the answer could be quite simple. We tend to quit before we even do something because we might think that our impact doesn't count. But as I said, the answer, our action could be quite easy. And that is in simply sharing that knowledge, sharing it with others. And how can we share this knowledge? Yes, Ines, you said we're doing this podcast. We're sharing it with you. You who are listening to us, we are giving our knowledge to you too. We are giving you the duty to do the same. We are inviting you to involve as well. And we are inviting you to spread a word about this. And if you wonder how you can do that, this is pretty easy. Because now 
thanks to artists like Mukasonga, for example, we have their personal views on this story. And then not that we just have their personal perspective and personal experiences, impressions and memories. We also have books, movies, songs, series for you and for you to recommend to your family members and friends. In one word, we have art which we can share. And art is something through which we can relate to other people, through which we can transfer and share emotions, and through which we can preserve our memories for ourselves and future generations and testify about the life we survived and experienced so others could learn from our mistakes. And this is why, this is why it is truly and very, very important. Thank you, Dora, for this statement. I think this is the perfect end for this episode. And I just want to mention one more quote of Mukasanga to wrap this all up. But I believe that I will never stop writing about Rwanda. There is so much more to write about this lost, murdered, recovering, reborn country. There are fewer Rwandan writers, and among them, even fewer women. I know my books are needed. It's as though I receive orders from young Rwandans who thirst to rediscover a culture so long obscured and despised. Writing to meet their expectations has become a duty, but also a pleasure. All I have to do is dig into the trunk of my mother's tales. My name is Dora, and I was here with Ines and Nora, where we discussed some of Scholastic Mukasonga's work. I would like to thank the publishers who allowed us to read some parts from the books so we could give you a bit closer look to what they are about. Those books are Scholastic Mukasonga's Inenziu le Cafard, published by Gallimard in 2006, Scholastic Mukasonga's Cockroaches, translated by Jordan Stump and published by Archipelago Books in 2016, Scholastic Mukasonga's Notre Dame du Nil, published by Gallimard in 2012, and Scholastic Mukasonga's Our Lady of the Nile, translated by Melanie Montner and published by Archipelago Books in 2014. Also, big thanks to Angel and Ona, whose voices you could have heard while listening to the quotes. And last but not least, thank you to you who are listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation and want to explore more content, we would recommend you to visit our website re-membering-rwanda.com and follow us on social media and in that way join us in these conversations. For our next episode, we prepared an interview with beautiful Rwandan artist Malaika Vumahoro, who shared with us her own perspective on the genocide, her thoughts about the present and the future of Rwanda, and presented us her art. Thank you for listening and participating in our collective memory. For further reading, please check out the links provided in the episode description. We really appreciate your curiosity. 
If you liked our podcast, please share it with other curious people around you. 